0: You've just entered the Disaster Tough Podcast, the place for emergency managers, first responders, and humanitarians who want to get the job done. Stories, lessons, and tips are provided by field experts. This show is owned and operated by professional emergency managers at Doberman Emergency Management. We apply disaster-tough logic by protecting life, property, and business continuity through planning, mitigation, and training. Check us out at dobermanemg.com. Or click on the show notes. Radio Coms just got a major breakthrough with the L3 Harris XL Extreme 400P. It's the newest and toughest radio out there. Built by their space and tactical teams, the XL Extreme Series can take a beating. 1700 degree blast of heat, repeated 3 meter drops, rain, salt water you name it the XL Extreme Series by L3 Harris can take it. Visit l3harris.com to schedule your demo today. The battle to monitor and contain COVID 19 just got exponentially better for us. We are officially introducing an electronic reusable, yes, reusable COVID 19 test through our sponsors. It's called the COVID Plus Test, created by Tiger Tech, distributed by FS Global. This is the first FDA authorized rapid, non invasive pre screener. It's extremely easy to use. Forget those one time use swabs. This is a disaster-tough technology. For more information on the COVID-plus test, check out our show notes. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited for this episode. I have Tim Britt, the Operations Section Chief for the National Incident Management Assistance Team, RED, is what I think they're called now. Oh, you got the RED on the, the shirt. Wow, they updated everything. Oh, that's cool. Uh, before when I was there, the color was gold. So maybe they've gone down in value. I don't know, but, uh, Tim's the man. I'm excited to talk about what the national strike team is doing and, um, see about future plans. And I'm sure he's going to give you great advice today, Tim. Welcome back to the show.
1: Hey, John. Thanks to be back. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, first things first, uh, are you following hockey at all?
1: Only the guy who got shot in the chest with a firework and uh, oh my god, kind of
0: tragic man, <laughs> freaking nuts, dude. I'm like not, I'm like laughing, but it's ho- absolutely horrible. I will say though, it kind of makes sense for one reason, and this is gonna be this is really dark, but just follow me for a second. He played for the Columbus Blue Jackets, Ohio, and of course he went up to Michigan and they killed him, right? Essentially. Michigan's the worst, so go Bucks, Ohio State. But seriously, that seriously, I, I hate to make light of it. I mean that um, it shows that like fireworks are dangerous. Uh, but you think the guy could like take it right with all those hockey pucks hitting him or something? I don't know, man. Exploded but on you, his just, chest, think, right?
1: Yeah, I think that just amplifies the the necessity for PPE, man. Like Good whenever call. you're doing operations, whether it's hot tub fireworks. Or actually going into a contaminated environment, hazmat area, you gotta have your PPE on because if you don't have the right stuff, uh, yeah, you're gonna be impacted.
0: The fact that they were shooting off mortars next to a a hot tub uh, just tells you everything you know about like something could go wrong. And like, I mean, I don't mean to like make light of it, but like, seriously, that's a, there's probably a lot of really obvious takeaways from that situation of time and place. Um, And it is unfortunate. Um, so you're not following the Las Vegas Knights. I don't really follow them either, but that was a lot of fun when we went to that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, that was awesome. I still have that video somewhere of us doing that. Okay. Let's talk about your job. This is why people want to talk to us. First of all, red. Did we talk about this last time? The rebranding of the IMAT teams. There's a lot of been changes that's happening with the IMATs, right? I mean, there was a new directive that came out and stuff.
1: Oh yeah, the, the, the IMAT directive, uh, we're not operating off of the CarWild memo that, I actually have it right here uh, from 2011, Jeez. Um, which uh, our response metrics were kind of measured against this guidance from 2011. The new IMAT directive has our, gosh, this is crazy. I've got this stuff right here. Um, this is uh, This is hot. I mean the little metrics tag. Mm. I can go right to it. Uh, and it's, it's it's important. I mean, I'm asked to deploy within two hours, instance in, in the continental United States within 12 hours. OCONUS 24 hours, right?
2: Mm-hmm. So we've
1: got some great readiness objectives and uh, capabilities. Within 18 hours of arrival, an initial assessment of unstable critical infrastructure. So some really good metrics lined out, you know, uh, mm-hmm. to see what right looks like, or you're not getting the job done. We're not meeting those metrics that are, that are laid out there. So
0: fascinating, really
1: important. Yeah. Objectives put in there for us.
0: The two hour thing is, I mean, I operated under that as well when we were there, but to see that actually outlined as an official metric, um, you know, how many times we say we were out the door in two hours and we would get the call in four or six and, you know, get on a commercial flight. Has that changed at all? Do you guys ever actually, so this is a funny thing about being on the IMAT. Like we'd always test like using military flights, but then we'd all get on commercial. Do you guys ever have, have they actually implemented that at all or what?
1: Well, we have done, we have done the, the Coast Guard load up and fly out, but not in a response. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we execute the, the known type incident. Like, and they're weather-related normally, Mm. right, where we have a vision on what that timeline looks like, like, as opposed to the Wasatch earthquake, you Mm. know, scenario, Um, or the two we just spent this last previous three days working on, the Bay Area earthquake response and the Alaska uh, earthquake, catastrophic earthquake response, where you may see uh, that military flight because there's no – no foresightedness to, to to plan backwards plan that arrival time
0: um, that black swan event. Yeah. The um okay. I I had to I have to remind myself this is public knowledge. Okay. So this is this I'm not giving away a secret here. Uh when I got to the IMAT team, I'd been on the IMAT team for about three weeks, just joined FEMA from another federal agency. We went down to FEMA Region 9, and this um, planner, I'll I'll just leave him nameless for now, Uh, he's like, hey, I just finished the catastrophic plan for the Bay Area, and he shows us the maps. And again, I'm the GIS guy, so I'm supposed to know the maps, right? And I'm looking at the map and the evacuation routes, and I'm like, this is way off, and uh, to, the, to the point where, again, this is public knowledge, so I'm not giving away anything crazy here. There's one, There was one evacuation route outside of the Bay Area. And that one evacuation route goes by Lawrence Livermore National Laboratories. And I said, hey, if you're in a catastrophic event where you're truly trying to evacuate the entire region, national laboratories will be impacted and you really don't want everybody to be driving by that. And he was like, "Oh, they haven't had live testing in years." I was like, "Uh, just kidding. I was there 3 months ago and yes, they do. And I'm not going to tell you what the kind of stuff they have, but they have a lot of stuff that if it mixes with the air, that's not good for everybody. And that was the only evacuation route out of the location. And I was like, "Maybe maybe you want to revisit." He's like, "Well, I just chose the best route." I was like, "You did not choose the best route, amigo. Uh, let's let's uh let's pump the brakes there." So, I don't know. That was my last that was my last review of the uh, the Bay Area evacuation plan.
1: Well, feel better now because there are other routes out. That's great.
2: Out
1: that are going to be utilized. <laughs> <laughs> to be utilized. Uh, it, you know, the scenario itself, you know, there's a the public version of the plan out there and mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, the operation would probably at a minimum be broken out into probably three different, Kind of areas of, of operation uh, for geographic branches, but mm. uh, supported by uh, designated federal federal state staging areas for each of those operational kind of areas. I'm kind of mixing terms. I don't want I don't want to confuse You're fine. anybody. Yeah. yeah so uh, and that's the you know the North Bay uh, headed up North Coast. Uh, there's the uh, 80 corridor. You know, egress out. Then there's that South Bay. Mm. Uh, Exit, you know, so, uh, yeah, not just one area now, you know, uh, and yeah, it's unfortunate that, uh, the region nine office is right there on the Hayward Fault. So,
0: yeah, um, well, it's the that's same as a
1: that's the concept of itself.
0: It's the, um, it's the same thought process of having FEMA region two in free, the Freedom Tower, um, you know, like the target, right? And so, like, I think there's, um, There's some political weight there of like saying, like, hey, if FEMA's there, it's safe and trying to help people feel like it's safer. But in terms of strategic, I remember a long time ago, they were talking about moving FEMA Region 9 to the capital, but they decided to keep it in Oakland. So I don't know. There's a, a lot of planning constraints there. In fact, you guys have been dealing with a lot of different planning constraints. We talked in December about how COVID changed a lot of things in the virtual aspect of that. Now that... I think the world has gotten tired of talking about COVID and politics. And so, like, they're open, even though we have the Delta variant and we have all these other things, but we also have vaccinations now. Um, in terms of, like, call, congregate shelters and the 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 response, pretty much all of FEMA, Joe said this on the show, pretty much all of FEMA has been vaccinated at this point. So in terms of, like, future responses, are do you feel like it's getting kind of back to, like, the normal? Or do you feel like COVID taught you so many lessons that, like, everyone's rewriting the book. Like what are your thought processes there?
1: Well, I think, um, we were talking operations. I mean, COVID was definitely a limiting factor, you know, the constraint that for sure. uh, specifically in the mass care arena and, uh, and resource availability for any sort of medical decompression, you know? So, uh, that was always a consideration on how we responded. You know, the the team itself, uh, you know, we spent, six weeks in Louisiana during the kind of the height of COVID, right. And kind of amplified felt firsthand that, uh, mass care mission and, uh, and the medical, uh, availability of resources, you know, to decompress or, or even the medical trans, uh, transport. Right. So yeah, that it was impactful, but I think coming out, you know, we're kind of, uh, metaphorically coming out the other side of this thing. Um, now, um, and headed right back into uh, another hurricane fire season, and the national IMATS, you know, really are uh, from my perspective, and uh, kind of what our role is in that catastrophic, uh, big Type One One Plus event. You know, you know, we that's the mission set that we can't fail on, right? That's as a national IMAT we. To go there yeah. and not not know what we're supposed to do uh, would be an embarrassment to, to to myself. Like, what have you been doing the last year of not preparing <laughs> for this, or you know, yeah, uh, for the for this, right? And I, we've got some a pretty good, you know, a, a basic approach to complex uh, problems, right? Um, that I think it can be applied across operations that we've come up with. So, mm. looking forward to to executing them either in an exercise environment, preferably as opposed to a real incident that can hit this catastrophic to Alaska <laughs> or California or, yeah. or the whole Cascadia subduction zone, you know?
0: Okay. So in terms of understanding those, you, you just said, you just explained like, Hey, we're doing these new things where we want to implement them. We want to test them out. Um, recognizing a county-level emergency manager, a campus-level emergency manager, uh, you know, they they have different operational constraints. They have different operational perspectives. Is there some advice that you could give them from, like, your lessons learned as the ops chief to say, like, hey, this is what you should apply at your level, at any level?
1: Right, yeah. That's the, that's the, the thing that we tried to do, is operationally try to create a... Uh, Really, at the basics, right? And I think this could apply to the county. Um, as you know, I was in Cal OES, the state, uh, California. Mm. Uh, so I get that state relationship and, and the state relationship with supporting the county, right? And I, I had conversations and we went back and forth on this in our with our emergency services, mass care, critical infrastructure, our branch directors, right? Mm-hmm. And said, hey, what, what what makes this good, right? Briefing out an FCO, uh, reporting on information and establishing operations, and we really came up with—you can apply this at the catastrophic level and to uh, a flood in your in your county—and that's the, the the nuances of established communications. Right, talk talk to everybody, find out who you can can and cannot talk to, uh, gain access to that impacted area, uh, assess the impacts. And then deliver the capability, mm-hmm. right? You can do that as, as, as a county emergency manager or as the federal government coming into a state, right? Uh, so that initial approach to establishing your operations, and then how do we communicate and and relay uh, to inform decision making from the UCG or the director of emergency management for your county or or what have you, mm-hmm. and. Operate off of what are the line of efforts in that incident or uh, the current operations that are ongoing, identify which ones those are, Uh, identify which are the critical considerations to those and what are the limiting factors, Mm. right? And then what are your resources that you have? What's coming in and what do you need? And then finally, what are the future operations? What am I going to have to support and what am I going to have to sustain? Mm. Uh, forward. And I think if, if we we did it in Delta and we did it in Laura, we kind of necked it down to that. And it was really effective. You didn't get the, uh, hey, here's what I did today, breach. Right? Mm. You didn't, I, I, hey, I know you did your job, right? I, <laughs> that's why we're here. <laughs> you know, uh, I trust that, right? Yeah. And then you know, and apply those kind of four areas in a quad chart, um, is kind of what we visually look at too. So, uh, um,
0: yeah, I think
1: those, those two concepts are going to play well for us.
0: The, I love the, tell me what you did today or t- let me tell you what I did today. Um, man, there's so many of those meetings where I was like, I do not need to hear this at all. Like, can we move on? Like, it always just felt like somebody patting themselves on the back of like, hey, this is what I did. And then you create a culture of like, thinking you all did really great, because you never took time to talk about the gaps, right? And so like, hey, what do we need to get done? So um, of course, Tim Britt, uh, our our friendly uh, Marine, is going to say like, hey, let's think of outcomes first. Um, I, I was actually just telling, uh, who was it? Kevin Coleman? I was just talking to him and um, or was it Kevin Coleman? It was Patrick McGinn. It was somebody one of our one of our mutual friends. I uh, we've had a really great year with Doberman. We've had a, we've hired a, a lot of really talented people, and what happens is people want to create their own projects. They want to like expand. They they want to do career development, all that kind of stuff, and they start making these goals. And the question I keep on going back to them with, and it's becoming kind of repetitive. It's becoming kind, of kind of a thing is what is the outcome you want? And if they can't tell me the outcome they want, that means they're approaching the planning process from the wrong direction. You always start with the outcome in mind. For IMATs, it's how do you go home, right? How do you get people out of shelters? How do you return to normal? How do you get into recovery? That's the outcome. So uh, that's it's just really fascinating that, um, you know, you you're, you're, the advice you give is so applicable to, to anybody. It's like get away from the fluff um, as I'm talking too much myself. You brought up three things, yeah. You brought up three things that I, I wrote down here. Uh, basically, you're describing situational awareness and true situational awareness. Get in, get into the disaster, assess the damages, make courses of action, go. Right. Um, I'm a big fan of situational awareness. I don't think it's utilized as much as it should be in emergency management, and therefore, a lot of decisions um, are. Create snowballs that of directions, aimless directions, and so I think that's a really good call out. Uh, in fact, maybe you can bring that up a little bit later again. Um, you talk about lines of effort. Tell me. So this is where I, maybe that's where we'll pause here. I actually have a third one: the support versus sustain lines of effort. Tell me more about lines of effort.
1: Boy, you're going to embarrass me with the book definition, right? But <laughs> conceptually, th- th- those are the current operations, right, that that are impacting community lifelines. Those key key factors, let's say mass care would be a line of effort. And along that line of effort, you know you have an outcome or an end state, but you know along that line of effort uh, there are intermediate objectives that need to take place to stabilize that uh that community lifeline or that, uh, that operation, uh, temporary power is another one, right? That, it, that would be a line of effort, uh, bringing, stabilizing the power requirements for, for a community lifeline. And what does that end, define that end state and then apply? Uh, what, what needs to happen along that, uh, uh, along the intermediate objectives along that uh, line of effort. Uh, and it's, it's kind of, it can be a little bit wonky because you look at it visually linear when the actions may not be linear. Okay. So but something to keep in mind when you're, when you're talking about it, uh, Smart. and briefing it, we do, an, we do a federal incident approach uh, that, that we develop that outlines the line of efforts, shows the resources, shows the gaps. What are we doing to mitigate against maybe environmental factors uh, to execute that line of effort? Really is uh, it helps me uh, see it operationally, like wherever and and to say it's really complex. It's really has a bunch of interdependencies. Then maybe that's where you're going to stand up a task force within your organization and bring all the key players together. Uh, and that's that's really one of the benefits of developing that line of effort, writing it down because the effort that it takes. The, uh, the communication effort and cross-coordination effort to, to build it, to be able to articulate it, usually gets you to the outcome of that situational awareness that you're talking about.
0: Um, the interdependency was the word that was coming up in my mind. It's like, it's an easy way to explain something that's interdependent and even, even interconnected. Um, the way I would describe it is like the, the fourth grader doing the solar system. If you do like a if you do like a solar system like display, you have the sun and then you have like these perfect equal rings of like where each of the planets are, and that's a really easy way to explain what the solar system looks like. By the way, there are nine planets, so screw anybody who thinks there's not. But uh, Pluto is a planet. Uh, <laughs> but if you look at the reality of it, it's obviously much more complex. They 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 cross paths constantly. There's there's um the the sun and the solar system is actually turning in real time on, on top of itself. And so like for a fourth grader or for uh, on paper, it's it's easier to to see that and you should see that so you can understand like what the what the problem set is. But in the reality of it, it requires lots of task force to understand a very complex situation. And so great way to explain that. Um support versus sustain. I'm gonna do like this whole definition thing on you real quick. Tell us the difference between support versus sustain.
1: Boy, well, uh, I think the supporting and sustain, I I don't know if there's really that, that broad of a difference. Right. But I think sustainment is the goal, right? Absolutely. Uh, Right. That's supporting it is one thing, but I, I think sustains a much stronger action and, uh, Mike Smith, another operations section chief on one of the other national IMATS, right? He, 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 he. One of the first things that he mentored me on was, don't start something you can't sustain.
2: Mm. Ooh, uh, I like especially
1: that. In, in the delivery of uh, commodities, let's say, where you have uh, an impacted population that's one day they come somewhere for MREs and water or blankets or tarps. And then the next day they come and it's not there, right? Like,
2: yeah, because you only had
1: a limited amount or, you know, I mean, so whatever you start, you have to be able to sustain. Uh, it's, you, that, you know, that's, you got to help those that you can help, but keep that in mind when you're, if you can wait 12 hours or 10 hours to get it, get it right, maybe that's the, the, the better, uh, choice. And I like to look at it from a from future ops. And it's normally it's in the mass care. How long is this mass care shelter mission going to be? And can those people that are survivors themselves uh, going to be able to sustain that shelter operation at the local level? Or are we going to have to augment that um, beyond the state capabilities? Because you can't be late to need on that.
0: Okay, I'm gonna pick on you a little bit. It's never a smart idea to pick on Tim Britt, but I'm gonna pick on you a little bit. It's really picking on FEMA. Future ops is really just planning, and most of planning in FEMA is just documentation. <laughs> so, like, I find that like the terminology is like we kind of like that 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 term is a lot is used a lot with FEMA of future plan and future ops, and like, well, that's just creating your plan um, and understanding like. Okay, we're gonna put people in a shelter, which means we need food, we need water, we need to like how long can we live there? Can should we put it in a flood zone? Probably not. So like is there's a lot of planning goes along with that. But yeah, that is future ops. Um I oh, also hey,
1: let me let me jump in, man. Oh, this is like I said, it's a problem. <laughs> it's always a problem.
2: <laughs> right.
1: So uh I think over the last two years mm. at a minimum, uh, we've been able to do some engagement with analytics. Um Smarter people than what you would say, what you would uh, normally associate with theme of planning, right? Uh, and <laughs> nice. and giving them the tools, right? Yeah. And showing them and, and utilizing analytic tools and methodology uh, to to project out, uh, be able to project out how long that pod mission is going to last, and and utilizing uh, the the national business. EOC Mm. and grocer input and, you know, when is food going to be available? Where's that fine line between providing commodities that are readily available within the, as part of the recovery of that impacted region and, and and charting that out to give us an idea what that future feeding uh, commodity uh, operation is going to look like. Right. Yes. Um, And then also uh, as part of the future ops or, in my in my mind, are cascading in events, or if this thing continues to trend this way, the shelter's going to be in the fire, right? Like, you yeah. know, I mean, Cause by fire behavior, and using fire behavior tools to inform operational decisions that are, you know, 5, 10, 15 days out. Another future op thing, right, that we're doing really well now, uh, is bringing in the uh, IRC, or the uh, kind of the interagency recovery coordination piece, and bring it in early. You know, there's no bigger future off off than long-term recovery, right? I mean, yeah, and us being able to inform and hand off that capability uh, to that IRC uh, branch now is, yeah. Uh, I, I think I think we're getting better every day at uh, what we're learning and applying lessons learned, and uh, with our operations and. And like you said, I'm not going to disagree with what what you said as a snapshot in time, but I think we're getting better, right? And I think that's important.
0: You know, that's a good call out. And um, I I, I will say that when I worked with informed leaders at FEMA, uh, those informed leaders like yourself um, would try to use analytics to figure out what was going to happen, the cascading effects, whether it's cascading is not, you know, it's usually paired with something negative, but there is an impact to what you do and trying to figure out what, what that, what the impact will be based off of courses of action. Like the more you can use analytics and decision-making, this is what, I, this is what I tell people. I keep telling people it's three things. This is like why I think Doberman has like figured out like this amazing niche. If you take data training and experience, you're going to have a perfect emergency manager. You need, you need to be able to, like, be smart enough to say, I don't know everything. And so you start to grab gather all the information, whether it's different stakeholders, looking at geospatial information, cascading events, whatever. So you're starting to pull in all the data. Training, you got to be really good at your job. And so you had to practice constantly. And the last part is, like, sometimes there's just no ex- a substitute besides, I've been doing this for 30 years. Trust me, X is going to happen. Andy John just shared that, uh, on our episode, uh, talking about that, um, in a, in a similar fashion where somebody said, Hey, I've got to follow my gut. And, uh, that's after they, they looked at all the data. And so you take those three things and you're going to have a very proficient emergency manager and emergency management group. Um, and I think if FEMA is, is pushing more into that realm of getting experience, training and analytics. I think that's uh like that's all all great news. I will still say though that the planning section, I don't know how much the planning section actually does planning. Planning based off of analytics, right? And so like if they're pushing that direction, that's phenomenal, you know, for sure.
1: Yeah, right. No, I I I, I agree, right? Like I said, we we're, we're trying to get better. Uh we're we're leveraging talented people on our team mm-hmm. uh to to fill those roles. Uh you know, Patrick McGinn was a, a uh, planning support, uh, Cameron Sterrett, uh, really bright, uh, yes. planner builds out, uh, concepts of operations for us, which, you know, I mean, we're, we're getting, like I said, we're getting better, better because we're demanding more too. Mm. Um, so that's, I like that. Yeah, it's great. I mean, so,
0: so I, I mean, I have so many thoughts based off of that. Um, First of all, Patrick McGinn and Cam Starrett, phenomenal emergency managers. And in terms of the planning section, the emergency support unit leader is the most emergency manager, kind of really on the team, to be honest. They're the one looking at all the plans and creating a plan based off of that. So there you go. Um, And very smart to hire Cameron to replace uh, Patrick. Wow, that was genius um yeah I and mean, it
1: didn't take a genius to do that though
0: Important yeah, yeah. That you know what pretty evident. yeah <laughs> yeah pretty pretty, pretty <laughs> yeah genius move pretty 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 obvious choice um right. I, I think what the difference I think the people like Patrick and Cameron people like Kevin Coleman, people like you um and and several others I think what sets 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 people like that apart. Uh, I, I've been really looking at this because we we actually we obviously try to hire really talented people here, and Franzi Economy, man, she's she's off the charts. But um, I think it's this this thrive for for wanting to know more and willing to do something about it. Um, I, I remember seeing you at the IMAT and like most people being like super bored, and you're like, "Man, I'm so busy," and I'm like, "What?" but you were just like that thirst for knowledge and wanting to do things right. And to, to have that work ethic. Cameron's like that, man. Cameron is one of these dudes. Let's be real. He, he went into FEMA Corps. FEMA Corps, that program is mediocre at best. Um, Went into Peace Corps, phenomenal program. Um, But it requires a lot of self-starting, starting starting effort. And so he goes onto the national team with not a, I would consider an expert level of understanding of what emergency management is. But within the six months, he was already beyond most people. Like, that's 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 who he is. And so, like, to your credit, I mean, by the way, uh, you talk to Cam Starrett, he won't, you get to about 12 seconds before he brings up Tim Britt. Oh, Tim Britt, man, I love working with him. He's great, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, are you sure you're not the deputy? i like, are you trying to get, no, he, he's a big fan of you. And I again, it goes back to, to that train of thought. Again, talking too much, but um, well done for setting that standard. Uh, I have a question. This is kind of my Q&A with Tim Britt here. Um, I keep hearing lately from some emergency managers. I disagree with it, but I want to hear your thoughts. Um, They say emergency managers should not be involved with response. As a guy whose entire job is response... And who obviously I like response. Um, what would you say to that? And without like just like laughing them out of the room. Like, what do you? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think I think that when you look at from the emergency management perspective, even with FEMA, even with my role, right? So you break it down. Like, there's the crisis management component of this,
2: mm-hmm.
1: where your fire, your law your public works, right? They're the subject matter experts dealing with that crisis, right? But there's a consequence management part. And I think as an emergency manager, you're back to your situational awareness piece, understanding the situation, applying the right capability to it. Uh, A lot of times the emergency manager has the direct line to uh, whatever that the governor the city manager, the county board of supervisors, you know, that, that governmental component and they're looking for information related to the incident. So there's that ESF five, you know, uh, capability, uh, Mm. that role that you fill with providing information, uh, that links that, uh, public affairs component, uh, Does that alert and warning? So, yeah, you have to be, uh, when you just look at core capabilities and where those live, right, you have to be involved in response. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then just the actual management of the the consequences that come out of that. Are people being evacuated? Do they need the the sheltering, you know, that is uh, mass care? Uh, The grant programs, right, that put that thing back together that was uh, impacted through public assistance or... Other grants, you know, I mean that's the training, right? That can that can uh, tie all that together into one organization and it lives under that emergency management umbrella. Uh, yeah, that's
0: it's I so totally obvious. It's, with that. <laughs> I know it's all <laughs> so obvious to me. Uh, but what what I think it what happens is um, they think. Too, oh man, I love the the crisis versus consequence management. Um, I think what happens is either they have a crisis background or they don't have a response. They haven't, they haven't been working directly with uh, a response. They might, they might work in a response, but it's not seeing that coordination that has to happen that the, like the IMS is kind of this funny thing because it's both strategic and tactical. Um, definitely strategic for obvious reasons, but tactical because you're, you're literally there working with the, the direct people who are involved. And, um, I, I've been I've been on this train of thought and thinking about like, okay, how do I like not laugh them out of the room but under, try to understand where they're coming from? I think what they're trying to say is like mitigation and preparedness needs to be much more focused on. And so I would say that the most time-consuming thing an emergency manager should do is focus on mitigation. Mitigation should be much more focused on. We should stop disasters from happening for sure. But the most important function of an emergency manager is... Life sustaining, right? We're here. We're in the business of saving and sustaining lives, life, property, and continuity of operations. And you'll have no more like real moment than helping somebody muck something out of their home or putting up in a shelter because they have nowhere else to go. Like most important versus most time consuming.
1: Uh, right. I mean, you're you're in mitigation and preparedness until you're not. Right. Like that's the, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the quote. 100, yeah. <laughs> then it's a hundred miles an hour. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, but really when you start talking about this is where I'm envious, right. Of the County or city emergency manager, I would love to get a thyra right. Identify the threat. Start, start planning immediate actions. Hey, my community, uh, I want them to be able to execute this. Through yes. external affairs, uh, you know, this event happens, incident happens. Immediate actions by not only the 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 crisis folks, fire, public works—they're doing their thing. But that the the citizens, right, that are paying us to say, "Hey, protect us!" Right, inform us, tell us what we need to do. I, I would, I would, if I live next to like a you know a nuclear power plant, right? Like, or if there's a a some sort of nuclear threat that an accident or a, or an actual nation state threat that is involved and you're telling somebody uh in and around that impact area hey i need you to shelter in place for 24 hours right they should know that before the incident right and but if you tell me that thing just blew up over there all that's on fire, but I need you to shelter in place because that, all that fallout and stuff has to happen first mm. to minimize. Ex- if you just tell me the day off, that with some sort of messaging. I'm like, yeah, that's cool, but I'm out, man. I'm running from that thing that I see yeah. over there.
0: See ya, bye. Uh, but yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I just think that engagement at the local level and being doing the preparedness piece, the FIRA evaluations, and mm. and having putting plans in place and then articulating them to the citizens that, that that are fall under your kind uh, of jurisdictional boundaries i think that's that that's the win man like that's that's where you really move the needle you know um yeah. as an emergency manager
0: yeah i like that i like moving the needle and i like the the idea of that um, you brought up a lot of really great points today you talked about you know obviously crisis versus consequence management which we were just talking about you we were talking about the need for response we have talked about you know, kind of what the National Strike Team does is an overview on the operational perspective that can be applied across the board. So we covered a lot of really great topics today. Uh, I just want to give you the last word. If you're going to give advice to emergency managers out in the field right now, what would you give? What advice would you give?
1: I would say first off is uh, be brilliant at the basics um, and be able to execute on that on that uh, consequence management. And then going back to what you said on that, the situational awareness and why is that important, right? Is understanding the situation as it relates to operations. As you know, in big events, we operate off planning assumptions. And planning assumptions come along with push of resources. Mm. Um, the quicker we can understand the current situation, we can turn off that articulate it to our higher headquarters. Uh, then we can stop the push of, of resources based on assumptions and institute a pool of requ- resource requirements and fulfilling requirements, mm. actual uh, things that we need to apply to problems um, and fill those gaps for, in our case, the state, right? Um, or the territory or the tribe that we're supporting. So I think just that's the, that situational awareness, be brilliant at the basics, Understand the situation, you know, and uh, turn that push in, into a pull. And I think that's a, that's a win for a response.
0: It's a good thing that the mics are connected right now because I could probably just drop it right now. That's a, that's a <laughs> great way to end on. Uh, be brilliant at the basics. Situational awareness. Uh, mitigate until you're not. And then you're going 100 miles an hour, right? So, Tim, thanks so much for coming back on the show, man. It's always a pleasure.
1: Hey, John, thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So if you liked this episode, which you should have, you need to give us that five-star rating and subscribe. If you have questions for Tim, you can send us an email at info at com, or you can be brave enough to put your question out on social media. We'd love to be able to see that there for Disaster Tough Podcast or for Doberman Emergency Management. And if you want to work with Doberman Emergency Management, you want somebody who has training, uh, experience, and a lot of data to back up their plans, then you should contact us again at info at com, and we'll see you next week.